From Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal, and this is Next Round, a Mind Pair podcast conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes in order to examine how we move forward as a drinks business following the COVID-19 crisis. Today, I'm talking with Will Whalen. He's the VP of Wine at Winester. Will, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Zach. Oh, my pleasure. So let's start with uh, what is Weinster? Can you kind of explain what it is that uh, you guys do? Absolutely. So Weinster is a direct-to-consumer wine club and e-commerce platform. Uh, We are based in Chicago, Illinois. However, we have members spread around the country and, again, primarily based in Chicago, but sprinkled around the East Coast, down South, and and certainly out on the West Coast as well. We are... Again, in the direct-to-consumer space, there are a lot of different uh, modules that are out there, but we're kind of unique in the fact that we have our own wine club member base, as well as a more general e-commerce platform that consumers around the country are able to log on to, whether they're a member or not, purchase wine directly with the winery, uh, and then we fulfill those orders out of our warehouse in Illinois. Uh, so it's a really fun kind of unique model in the space. And we work with about, I'd say right now, about 120 wineries, uh, primarily West Coast based. We do have one winery based in New York State uh, on Long Island. But for the most part, kind of just celebrating the best of American wine the way we see it. And, and most of these producers are very much small producers that might struggle to get national distribution uh, or, or they're so highly allocated in many of the markets across the country that unless you're really in the know or your local shop or restaurant is really in the know or well-connected, you might not be able to get those wines, even if they are indeed in your market. So I I like to say we're we're kind of trying to break the mold a little bit and uh, break the model of allocations and and exclusivity and a lot of these small producers up and down the West Coast and really just try to bring more wine to the people, quite frankly. (laughs) Yeah, well, God knows we need it right now. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about a little bit about uh, the mo- the model of that you guys operate under just a, a touch more because I want to kind of uh, understand a little bit better. So, so you said you have kind of these two components. There's the wine club, and then there's just sort of the online platform. Can, can you explain? Are they are they totally separate? Can can people? You said you said that people who are not members of the club can still go onto the website and buy wine, but but how does it work then? Being in the wine club, what is what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, whether you're just trying to send a a bottle of bubbly to a friend across the country as a gift or, you know, looking to send some wines to a vacation home that you're going to for the weekend, you don't have to be a wine club member to buy wines uh, through the Winester platform. But the wine club membership is really the heart of what we do. And that's the best way to explore not only what we do, but really the, the portfolio, because you get to choose from a handful of different options between getting shipments monthly, bi monthly, or quarterly. Uh, you can choose your club. So maybe you really, really only like red wines. And we have an all reds club. We have an all whites club. We have a mixed club. Uh, and every month or whatever uh, kind of schedule that you set, you receive what we call kind of just like the highlights of our portfolio. Uh, and so we're constantly cycling new producers through those wine club shipments. Uh, so you're constantly getting exposed to new wineries, uh, which is, I think, the greatest benefit because it, whether you are new in your wine journey or somebody who's just really kind of started to get into wine over the last couple of years, or maybe you're a really seasoned, uh, savvy collector, whatever it is, there are so many new wineries popping up on the scene every year, every month, sometimes it feels like. And so we're really trying to do a great job of exposing you, uh, the consumer, 
to those great wineries that are coming onto the scene. So that's kind of the, the main part of the club. There are obviously a, a ton of other benefits that wine club members enjoy, you know, uh, basically $0 shipping, et cetera. But the way the two platforms, if you will, work in tandem is uh, really just a way for wineries themselves to have kind of a second direct-to-consumer storefront outside of their own. Uh, I think that's something we'll probably talk more about, but you, a lot of wineries have seen the importance of having direct-to-consumer business and their own e-commerce uh, sales really flushed out during COVID-19. Yeah, so so let's get right into it. So so first and foremost, as a as a platform that sort of centers around e-commerce and getting wine to people uh, without them having to kind of go to a store or go to a, a winery, I would imagine that that you are you know, relatively well positioned to deal with the challenges uh, from a sort of logistical standpoint that that COVID has has wrought. Um, but but what is that? What has that been like for you guys? You know, what are there challenges that have popped up that you maybe weren't expecting? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody who has only enjoyed uh, the benefits of the shift away from on-premise sales and uh, just solely towards e-commerce. You know, they're, they're one of the lucky few. We have definitely been unseasonably busy, uh, no doubt about it. You know, I, I don't think that the numbers that you see being tossed around big websites like wine.com or whatever it is, you know, while we may not be enjoying those kinds of numbers, uh, we've definitely seen an uptick. And it's, to be honest with you, it's largely from our existing customer base. Uh, our, our members have really embraced the idea of looking for wine online, getting comfortable buying wine online, because wine is such a, wine buying is such an intimate relationship between the consumer and the provider or the purveyor or the wine shop or whatever it is. And I think the online experience of buying that, especially new wines, is really intimidating for a lot of people. Uh, so this has been kind of a really interesting uh, time period for digitally native businesses like Winester. So there's definitely been some challenges that come along with that, though. I mean, our warehouse, I mean, I, I would hope every fulfillment center of any consumer good in the country has implemented new procedures and uh, cleanliness policies and whatnot. But that was a huge initiative for us. Uh, and also the fact is, is we were down members in the warehouse uh, because we were trying to reduce staffing at one time in the building. So every, I think every business at this point even if you're digitally native, has run into their fair share of adversity. Uh, but for the most part, we've been able to be a really reliable sales channel for, for, for these wineries. And I mean, gosh, so many wineries are, are talking about they're down 80% from last year on sales. Uh, and so it's for some people, it's any port in a storm. But you know, I think the biggest thing is we are all, everybody in the wine industry, just trying to grind away uh, and find a way through this as best we can. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about how you guys interface with wineries, uh, because I think that's, you know, obviously for most of our listeners, that's going to be, you know, they're going to be on the consumer side, or at least not not specifically on the winery side. But for people who are listening to this who are, you know, <clears throat> at wineries in the U.S. or whatever, what is your interaction like with them? And, and have you had, a, you know, a, frankly, a lot of people coming to you as that port in a storm, recognizing that, they, they simply cannot count on, uh, you know, the three-tier system and on-premise in particular to to move uh, the volume of wine in 2020 that they might have counted on. Definitely. And we have always kind of gotten a lot of inbound interest, but it's been 
even more so during this time. And, you know, we have added a handful of wineries since the COVID-19 pandemic really kind of took hold here uh, in the States. But for the most part, we've really tried to concentrate our sales on existing wineries that uh, have, have been working with us for a while. And, you know, what it looks like really is, <laughs> quite frankly, a conversation like I had yesterday with one of our makers, uh, winemakers of a really small family label uh, based out of Lake County. And we talked on the phone for 45 minutes just about what their numbers are looking like, how they need to allocate their wines from the fact that, you know, their neighbor gives them a hard time when they try to host visitors on a patio for tasting. And I mean, these are the kinds of challenges that these wineries are, are dealing with, you know, whether it's a city or state audience or neighbors or, you know, one thing or another. Um, so we've been really working tightly with our wineries, uh, quite frankly, every day just to figure out, you know, maybe this skew that they normally allocated just to restaurants in Northern California, or this is a skew they were really hoping to build their East Coast member base this year with, whatever it is. Uh, those are those are the wines that we've been able to kind of really help move and uh, make an impact on. But again, for anybody in this spot, you know, it is really needing to get creative. And I think one of the things that we've realized is what we didn't do a great job of in the past was email marketing, quite frankly. And we've really taken to that. And it's a great place to tell the story of the wineries, tell the stories of the wines and continue to just get people familiar and comfortable with the fact that they are buying these wines without having tried them in most cases. Uh, and, you know, that takes work. It takes time, uh, but it's necessary. Well, it might be the case that you're seeing that people are, as you mentioned before, just getting more comfortable with that idea, right? That the person who in the past might've relied on in-store tastings or, or having something at a restaurant or going to a winery and then that driving their purchasing decisions, you know, just that's not happening for most of us or happening much less. And so if you want to try new stuff, your only option is to kind of roll the dice and, and, you know, you can do that in a lot of different ways, obviously online, but, but I, I think, you know, that, that, that is my sense that I've heard from, from, you know, friends and, and people I know that they're kind of like, well, you know, maybe I just have to take more chances. Absolutely. And I always equate it to this. You know, I know people that are very comfortable buying clothes and shoes online without ever having tried them on, even, you know, even across brands. And I have never been super comfortable with that because so much about buying that jacket isn't just making sure that it's the right size for you but it's the right fit. It's the right feel. It's the texture. It's all those little things that somebody looking at you wearing a piece of clothing would never understand how it interacts with you. And so that's kind of how wine buying is in a lot of cases as well. Just because you like Pinot Noir doesn't mean you're going to love every Pinot Noir from Santa Barbara or Russian River or the Willamette Valley or whatever. So trying to find a way to bridge that gap and make people more comfortable and make people more at ease, quite frankly. In those situations where these really delicate intricacies of how we interact with a product can't be kind of experienced before buying. And it's a leap of faith, without a doubt. That's what, you know, I don't buy shoes online anymore, quite frankly. I'm tired of wasting $85 on a pair of sneakers only to have them arrive and then just not fit well. And I have to imagine that's how people felt buying wine for a really long time. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the the sort of the DTC landscape um, and kind of, you know, what you see and, and maybe we'll, we'll start with, with, a, with something that's maybe less, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if it's less fraught, it's just differently fraught. So, 
you know, one I know that one of the challenges traditionally for DTC sales for for wineries and certainly for for people on the sort of e-commerce side has been that the United States is this disgusting patchwork of laws that make no sense that don't you know necessarily have any correlation to how people actually want to function in society. Um, and I know that's always been a challenge for for you know for for anyone who's trying to sell wine online, essentially. But um, have things gotten a little clearer? I mean, the sense I've had from the outside is that you know states have made some efforts to make their uh, make shipping laws a little bit more lenient. I don't know. But what is the current status there, as far as you know? Well, it, it like you said, it's really complicated because it varies so much state to state, and in many places, uh, county to county. You know, you you have to have a direct to a direct shippers license for, as far as I understand it, for each individual island in Hawaii, not just the state oh of Hawaii. Uh, you know, and then you have dry counties in Texas and elsewhere. Uh, right now, there are about forty. Uh, you know, just off the top of my head, about 40 states that you are, you are able to become compliant in to ship wine directly uh, to a consumer and bypassing the three-tier system. Uh, you know, states like North Dakota, South Dakota are difficult, Utah, uh, kind of a, a string of the South, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, and a, and a, and a couple of others. But things are slowly changing. Uh, you know, even in just a couple of years ago, you couldn't ship wine directly into Illinois. You couldn't ship wine directly into Pennsylvania. And so these things are, the momentum is definitely on the right side of making things a little bit more accessible. But what is still such a challenge, especially when we're talking about smaller wineries, family owned wineries, it's the cost of doing business. You know, it, the you, it costs about $1,200 all in to get an Illinois shipper's license. And that's between the tax that you have to take out and prepay. That's between the fees and processing that you have to pay for the license itself. And then you have the monthly reporting. Uh, The city of Chicago actually just, I think last week, instituted an additional Chicago city tax for all incoming wine shipments. So it's not just enough to pay taxes on the wines that you're shipping to the state of Illinois, but now you have to pay another tax to the city. So as much as you know, as much momentum and progress as we have made, and I, and I don't mean to make it sound like it's impossible to sell wine direct to consumer in this country, there are so many things that would make it easier. You know, I, I always think of I when I moved to California, I didn't have to take uh, a driver's uh, driver's license test behind the wheel. I just had to do it uh, on a computer. You know, when I moved to New York from Colorado, I didn't have to get. Uh, I didn't have to take a test at all. I could just register for a driver's license. And that's because there are certain states in this country where it's kind of like a worked in agreement. Well, if you've passed the test there, you can get a license here. Uh, I know in some cases to practice law, there there are similar statutes available. We need more of that in this country for shipping alcohol directly to consumers, specifically wine. So I know Florida is generally pretty easy for it. Uh, Texas is notoriously difficult and stringent uh, because if you're a winery and you go through the kind of laborious process of filling out all the paperwork, paying all the fees, great, you're set up. But what if you've just got eight clients in Texas and you're a Napa Valley winery and they're all high spend Napa Valley cab buyers? You know, if they're if if you ship to them, you stand to make say 10 grand, 15 grand a year from from those consumers alone. Maybe that's worth it. But if you get audited by the state and they choose to prosecute that that's a, a whole headache that you have to deal with. So yeah. it's it's really convoluted, uh, but at the same time, progress is being made. It's just kind of slow. Yeah. And then 
I'm also curious, you know, the 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 general thrust of this whole period of time uh, COVID influenced is, you know, everyone from the small uh, family winery to the behemoths is realizing that they have to have direct to consumer presence because there's just, you know, there's nothing that's going to replicate what on-premise sales offered until, until, and when hopefully I suppose on-premise ramps back up. And, and that is feeling kind of further and further away daily, frankly. Um, so, so as someone who's, you know, you've been in this, you know, before all the big players suddenly realized, Oh shit, we've got to get our hands on this. You know, do you, do you think that, I don't know how to, how to ask this question exactly, but like, you know, from a, let's start with a sort of uh, consumer focus, you know, do you think that, that having those big players more invested in direct to consumer will kind of help everyone, whether it's from this legal standpoint or just normalizing the idea of, of buying wine online? I hope uh, if I have, if I'm being optimistic, yeah, I think so. Because, you know, if you want something done in this country, you need to pay somebody to lobby on your behalf. Uh, and so the more big players in the game and the more money on the direct to consumer side, hopefully the better. Uh, you know, you there are large retail or pardon me, large wholesalers across this country who invest just, you know, perverted numbers of money into making sure that wholesale and three tier system alcohol sales are protected. And there isn't really there hasn't historically been the same kind of backing and momentum on the side of direct to consumer. I don't mean to put DTC and three tier system directly in competition with each other because I I recognize that you know there, there is a role for wholesalers in this country certainly, but I I have to think that the more big players, the more money that piles on into the DTC game, ultimately the more progress that will be made because of the monetary influence. The one thing that I think people kind of overlook when it when we discuss direct to consumer sales is we recognize that generally for wineries, DTC sales have a higher margin than going through the three-tier system and selling to a wholesaler. But that margin is only worth it, and it's only helpful if you have a healthy direct-to-consumer like consumer base. Because, you know, it, the great thing about selling to a wholesaler is you're paid in 60 days. Yeah. <laughs> so you, it's reliable income. And so I think that's the toughest part for a lot of wineries that are now pivoting towards investing in their direct-to-consumer is, you know, maybe they've had a mailing list in the past, but a mailing list only gets you so far if you don't put in the organic uh, effort to grow it. Yeah. And so if your mailing list is a thousand people, that's great. But if you're making 10,000 cases of wine and your wholesale channels dry up, what are you going to do? Yeah. And so that's, and that's where people are really starting to say, okay, I need to not just do my homework on how to build my own direct-to-consumer base, my mailing list, a wine club, whatever it is. You know, so many wineries that didn't have wine clubs before are finally doing it. But they're also looking for, you know, alternative methods, alternative direct-to-consumer sources and channels. And, and that's where, you know, we at Winester have really tried to step in as much as we can in the past. And also, I, I think going forward, that'll be definitely a, a unique opportunity for a lot of a lot of wineries. Very cool. All right. Well, let's wrap things up with uh, with one uh, actual wine focused question, as opposed to just business. Uh, what it, what uh, what have you been drinking lately that you're particularly enjoying? Yeah, I honestly have found myself getting back into Muscadet huh? uh, since moving since moving to Northern California. The access to incredible shellfish and seafood 
is just something that I forgot that existed. And, <laughs> you know, when, you, when you're able to drive an hour and a half away to Tamales Bay and shuck oysters while looking at the water, uh, there, there's really nothing in the world that compares to opening up like a $10, $11 bottle of Muscadet. And so I've been getting really back into Muscadet. And there's actually, luckily, there's a couple of producers uh, here in California in particular that are really celebrating Melon de Bergon and Jolie Lade in particular makes yeah. just a, a killer version. Uh, my wife pulled a bottle out of the fridge, I think last week, and my eyes just kind of lit up and she's like, oh, is this one a cheat code? Basically, and it's like, yes, that, that <laughs> wine is a cheat code. So uh, I would say I would say Muscadet has been the recent favorite. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. And uh, last thing, uh, if people are interested in Weinster, what, where do they go? Yeah, so the best way to find out more about us, join the wine club, buy some wine, is just to go to winester.com. That's where you can join our wine clubs, uh, search our platform, search our marketplace, uh, send gifts, the whole nine yards. Awesome. Well, well, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to checking back in a little further down the road to see uh, what, what else has uh, been changing and growing in your world. Absolutely. And thanks for having me. And thanks for all you guys have been doing. Your guys' podcasts have got me through many a long day working from home. Well, we, we're happy to hear that. Uh, they, they get us through some long days, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Zach. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now, for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Eric Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the VinePair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.